0: reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. What up, listener? We wanted to take a second to thank you for listening to this Blue Wire podcast. Be sure to show your support to this pod by subscribing and dropping a five-star review on iTunes, a follow on Spotify, or the appropriate dap for any other platform you might be listening on. And if you're enjoying this show, chances are you'll like one of our 75 other sports podcasts. Find more shows you'll love at BlueWirePods.com. Thanks again for listening, and now back to your regularly scheduled podcast. Baker Mayfield,
1: undraftable, off my board.
2: The Cleveland Browns select Baker Mayfield.
3: Welcome to Brown's Film Breakdown. I'm your host, Jake Burns, writer at the OBR. It has been a minute since we've joined you, a couple weeks since the Kevin Stefanski hire. I've really tried to let this whole big picture come together, not really speculate on a lot of things. I really wanted to wait until the GM hire happened and then Kind of post Super Bowl, I thought there would be a lot of things that would shake out, and it does seem like it's turning toward Joe Woods taking over the defensive coordinator role. We did get Andrew Berry as our, our new general manager here in Cleveland. So some things have settled in. Um, we're going to get busy with content here. It's going to be uh, pretty regular going into obviously this late late February combine and then that turns over to between March and April into the draft and free agency and a lot of stuff will be going on with the Browns especially interesting today as Andrew Berry noted they will be aggressive and uh, it kind of reels me into a topic that I really want to talk about which is how that aggression will look this time versus the last time somebody I have fantastic banter with whether on Twitter or direct messages, whatever. Kevin Cole. Kevin works at Pro Football Focus. He's a data scientist for them. Used to be with Roto Grinders. I had Kevin on last offseason. Just fantastic content. I thought it was really good. Uh, Big picture stuff that I think uh, a few do really good job with, like Kevin does. So, Kevin, welcome on, man.
1: Well, thanks for having me, Jake. Uh, Big fan of yours. And I say, obviously, people who listen to the podcast already know this, but you are a nice, you know, calm, rational voice out there in a sea of insanity when it comes to Brown coverage. So I appreciate talking to you.
3: Well, yeah, give me a few years; it, it, it might, change. <laughs> but um, <laughs> no, I appreciate that. Obviously, it's, uh, it's, it's crazy. Losing has an effect on people, even people not directly involved with the franchise, and it has been chaotic. So I've tried to, like you said, uh, be as rational as I can and approach, and and we'll see where it takes us. I like this group. I'm interested in your, uh, you know, your take on. This whole big picture, you know, the Stefanski hire. And I know that a lot of our banter was going back and forth between Josh because there was a time it was really trending like Josh was going to get the job, uh, Josh McDaniels, and it, it really seemed people that I knew that, that that seemed to have an inside angle for years have said that it felt like it was going to get done. Now, I don't know if the, the final interviews, they, they had a sticking point and they just said we can't do this. It's not going to align right. Who knows? Not many people know. Maybe a book will be written on it someday, but – it just fell apart and Stefanski was a hire and maybe Stefanski was the name all along and they just didn't have enough sway uh, you know from enough people in the in the in the decision making process to feel like Josh was going to take them away from Kevin because it does feel like through the process of 2 years it was like we're going to set this guy aside for a year but we really want to keep an eye on him and it is entirely possible that that was always the route that Jimmy and Paul Podesta wanted to go, and that was where those two at the top of the decision-making process felt like it was going to trend unless they were just blown away. So my question to you, Kevin, is do you feel like they got it right? Big question to start.
1: Well, from what we know from the outside, and I feel like that's a qualifier that goes for a lot of different assessments when it comes to coaching and GMs, I think so. I mean, even if you knew – nothing about the the candidates and and the process and everything else that was going on there i think that mcdaniel's being hired while you couldn't say it was necessarily a bad hire it would at least hint at the fact that it would be more of an ownership driven decision and that's been a problem as we you know we didn't really know at the time In 2016 that Hugh Jackson was not the choice of the front office but was the choice of Jimmy Haslam and then he stepped in. So all of those things that we thought they had in the past that we're talking about now like alignment you know it it wasn't there so if McDaniels was the hire I would have had more questions as to whether or not when you know the seas get a little bit rocky as they always do uh someone would end up getting tossed overboard along along the way so for in that reason I think it's good but again it's tough to say and obviously Josh has a great track record as an offensive coordinator so he would would necessarily have been a bad hire. There just could have been some bad singling there.
3: So from a numbers perspective, I, I get I get interested. I think those are good points about um, the divide and coming together and forming code that cohesion. And we'll talk about that in a minute. But I've been bugging John Costco as much as I can about the numbers that sort of back up the stuff I'm seeing on film. I watched the film. I put together a four-part series. Last part comes out tomorrow on Kevin Stefanski's offense. And I've just kind of been blown away by I think thinks that – Think things, sorry about that, things that that I think will um, really align with the Browns personnel and what they can do from a skill standpoint. I think that was a big draw. So I'm fascinated to know from your opinion, you've looked at this stuff, you've looked at the numbers the same way I have, I'm sure, um, as the data scientist. You have looked at it, like, do you feel as good as I do about where the personnel can fit with this? You know, granted, they have to make improvements at tackle and probably a little bit of tight end, but big names, Jarvis, Odell, Baker, Nick Chubb, potentially Kareem Hunt, we'll see, um, and, and even David, do you feel okay? Like, do you feel like this is a transition that should go well for them?
1: I think so. I mean, Eric Eager, who is another data scientist at Pro Football Focus, he's done a lot of work uh, looking into coaching and scheme and what translate or not, and trying to even assign value to coaches on how teams under or um, outperform based upon our grading. So, what we found with the Vikings is that you know they they have obviously some big talent pieces, uh, especially Adam Thielen and Stephon Diggs, and then out of the backfield with Dalvin Cook. But if you look at the rest of the team, you know it's, it's not the highest grading offensive line. Uh, Cousins is someone who you know, is a capable but not elite type of quarterback. And the results that they were able to get out of him, and that Stefanski was able to get out of him, bringing together the scheme with Kubiak and everyone else, are much, much higher than what you would have expected. They were one of the most efficient passing offenses in the league. And, you know, other sorts of numbers that you can point to is things like how often you're using play action, how often that you're taking these these downfield shots when you should be taking them, things like that. You know, they were really trying to get... Some some bigger high variance plays and I think that ends up working out well rather than dinking and dunking down the field sometimes So all all those things pointed to someone who was leading an offense that outperformed what you would expect based upon the talent At least as we graded them
3: Good. Yeah, I think that that aligns with a lot of what the film shows It's just the ability to take advantage of some things uh, Make things easier on your quarterback manipulate the pocket give them clear throwing lanes all of that stuff I think will really align well um that's just kind of where I'm coming from, looking at it and seeing sort of how the wide receiver duo fits in, how the running back fits in. And I think Dalvin Cook is an unbelievable running back. He's really got a, uh, the ability to to uh, make a cut and hit top speed at the snap of your fingers. But I don't think he vision uh, processes as well as, as Nick Chubb. So I, I think that while Nick takes a little bit more build-up time to get to full speed, and he's very fast when he does, uh, I, I, I certainly think he'll benefit from the, you know, the three-course path and all of that stuff that will branch off. And the Browns ran outside zone, wide zone well this year, not branching off of it, so that's why I'm even more encouraged. Now, front office alignment. The hiring of Andrew Barry, was that the guy, when you looked at it, that you always thought they were coming back to? Because things started to heat up. You know, George Payton obviously gets a second interview, and people are talking about how surprised they were that he got the first interview, that he decided to come for the first interview. Um, he gets a second interview. Did you think that that alignment um, would have worked? I, I guess uh, these are hard questions to answer. I guess would you have liked that alignment? And then did you always kind of feel like Andrew Barry as an outsider looking at the Browns was probably the best way to go, even though he's only 32, very young. Um, but, but I'm sort of interested in somebody else's opinion that doesn't, you know, consistently right on the Browns like I do. So go ahead.
1: Yeah, I would say that maybe a slight favoritism towards Barry being the hire, only because um, we know a little bit more about him as far as he was someone who was, you know, he was brought in in 2016. So he signaled at least at that point that he was aligned with what they were doing um, and everyone there. He went on to go work for, for Howie Roseman, for for some time and and learned over there for for a little bit and then coming back I think there's just more certainty that you have this quote unquote alignment and if you listen to what he said I think he projects the same thing that Stefanski project when they talked about being you know being a servant leader and they seem to be a very similar personality as far as wanting to be a leader but not be the you know the the dictator essentially of their of their particular role and they want and and they want to make it a collaborative process so those are all things that sound good to me uh, others may want someone who is uh, a scout from a background of, because everyone really concentrates, especially this time of year, they're going to concentrate on, on on collegiate scouting. And uh, he doesn't come from that background. He came from a pro personnel uh, scouting background. So he doesn't have that. But I like to hear someone who's going to make sound decisions before being a, somewhat of a super scout. So for that reason, he was good. Now, Peyton may have been just as good, um, but it's also a situation where we just don't know as much. And I think while I like a structure where a coach has a a strong say in what's going on. I don't necessarily want the coach to be, you know, the, the dominant force there. And maybe if he's bringing in his guy, that could happen a little bit more. So if everyone get on the same page, and it sounds like they are, um, they're at least speaking the same language at this point. Then I think it is, it is uh, it, he would be the 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 main guy that I would want, knowing what I know.
3: Yeah, all, all very fantastic. I think I align with pretty much everything you're saying there. Even when I was surprised that Peyton didn't take the job, I was like it can very much make sense for Andrew Barry. And if you had a chance to listen to him talk today at his introduction press conference, it doesn't it doesn't take many sentences from him to to, to make you understand why this guy is so successful at a young age and why it can work and how his traditional blend of scouting uh, has the has a great – I'm not guaranteeing anything's going to work, but it has the potential to really mesh the two concepts of numbers and the eyeball test, which is so important when you're looking for these players. So um, my, my sort of last angle here before I let you go is – Brown's fans hear me talk about it. I try not to be you know beat a dead horse with it. There are plenty of people who do this stuff on you know popular follows in Cleveland, and they go ranging from one topic side to the other here with what happened the first time they went heavily analytics numbers driven. Can you as somebody that that is smarter than me, infinitely smarter, somebody the fan base should be listening to, can you explain why this turn? back to numbers focus and it's not even just a numbers focus this blend they're trying to perform why is it why let me let me say this people say well they, they're bringing back one of the the, the, the lead parts uh, of, of one and 31 the why would they revert to that why is this time different Kevin in your opinion than the last time they brought in you know Sashi Brown in 2016 and that approach so give, give me your thoughts on why this time might be different should be different than the first time that they went with a a numbers analytical driven front office.
1: Well, I I think the first time around it, well, I mean, well, number one, they didn't have the alignment with the head coach. So we, we saw that, but that wasn't really something that came into play until there was a lot more sniping. I think they're just in a different part of the cycle right now. And if you look at what's happened, it's not just the Browns, you know, what happened, let's say with the the Philadelphia 76ers, um, what happened with some other organizations that have taken a very analytical path is normally the the rebuild is a little bit more of a struggle than you might think it's going to be going into it, and I think you know people don't want to hear this because no one wants to shirk responsibility. And I think Andrew Barry did a good job today saying you know it's a results based business, so that's it is what it is. Um, but I, I do think there was a healthy portion of. Of bad luck. I mean, as far as the the team played, if you look at things like score differential, they played like a team that should have won five, six, seven games over those two years. Of course, they they did not. Not that that would have been that much better, but I think the optics would have been a little bit better there. Uh, you know, they missed on some picks, but they were also delaying and, and accumulating more draft picks in 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 the future. So I, I think this this time around, what what you're seeing is you're in a different part of the cycle. Barry said he's going to be aggressive, and I think that's something that people don't necessarily associate with analytics. Although if you look at other sports like what Daryl Morey's doing with the Rockets and he's been doing for several years is when that window is there, uh, you can be aggressive. It's not about always trading back. It's not about always throwing it back. And that's just what was going on during that cycle. So I think what you're going to see is you're going to see more moves to get people excited about what's going on now rather than delaying into the future. And because of that, uh, you're going to get some 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 better, higher quality players. I mean, like like I said, no one wants to hear it, but some of this is just about luck. If you look at the Seattle front office, the Saints front office uh, in the past versus starting in 2016, they really turned things around. I mean, you can go from bad to good to back to bad again in, in these two or three-year stretches. So a couple-year stretch, while you want to say, hey, you missed out a lot here, it's really tough if unless you know that the process was that bad, whether or not you were just having a bad uh, luck streak, essentially, sometimes.
3: Yeah, very well put. The thing I keep trying to go back to and what you articulated very well there is that it is just different. It's a different approach. It It is a different stage of the roster, and I even think Barry put out a very good quote on that. Um, today in terms of how, like you said, their aggression will be different because you're not trying to tear down to rebuild assets and, and they have some assets. They have some players that have been picked with those previous assets, not enough. Otherwise the, the, the former front office would be here, but, um, they do have some things at key positions and Barry noted that. So I'm excited, um, you know, this is this is a topic that I don't think will go away anytime soon unless the Browns just, can, unless they just start winning football games and it will go away and it will be something that will be fascinating to look back on and hopefully we can have, you know, some different conversations maybe during the year or, or all that stuff. So this is not the last time you heard from Kevin on this podcast. He's fantastic, does great work at Pro Football Focus. Please follow him if you're not already. Um, rectify that. You probably are, most of you that follow me. And you're interested in numbers, you're interested in learning about the game from uh, a different perspective than just watching the football every Sunday and learning who's playing well, all that stuff. They do great work. Kevin, you're the man. Thanks for joining me tonight. And uh, I will, you know, hopefully have you back on at some point during the season.
1: All right. Thanks for having me, Jake.
3: Yep, no problem. All right, guys, we will be right back. We're going to take a quick break to talk to you guys about our brand new sponsor, Bet Online. If you missed your opportunity to bet on the plethora of Different gambling opportunities with the Super Bowl. Fear not. BetOnline is here to help. Blue Wire is excited to be partnering with BetOnline to help you win big no matter what time of year it is. March Madness coming up. The Masters. Major League Baseball is right around the corner. You name it. Plenty of betting opportunities. BetOnline has you covered for your latest news, scores, and odds. It's the best way to place your bets. And it's free to sign up. Plus, it's never too early to lay down your future Super Bowl bet on the 2020 Browns to win that 2021 Super Bowl. Head over to the betonline.ag, use the promo code BLUEWIRE to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. I've signed up, super easy, very convenient. I'm already placing wagers here and there, I actually am a terrible gambler, but is isn't stopping me from using betonline.ag. So go there, right now, use the promo code BLUEWIRE, betonline.ag, Promo code BLUEWIRE. Bring your best bets home with BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. Now back to Browns Film Breakdown. Alright, switching over. It's draft season. It is the time of year that, you know. hell, let's call it what it is. It's Browns Fan Super Bowl because this is the conversation that we always know we're going to be a big part of. For some reason, unfortunate, we could talk about this for hours. The Browns moved back up into the top 10 this year. It is an important draft because there are some pieces in place a new head coach, a new GM. Some pieces on the roster ready to go, but they need some important holes filled. And these draft picks in the first three or four rounds are going to be vital. Probably guys that they will count on um, in this first year to make an impact. So when I'm talking draft, I got a few guys that I go to really wanted to get Jordan Reed from the draft network on here. He's the he's a senior draft analyst for them. Um, a fantastic quarterback back in his day, a rising star in the industry. I'm going to get him now before somebody else gets him big time and he's going to ignore my DMs. Jordan, how you doing, man?
2: <laughs> good man it's a pleasure to be here it's always great talking ball and browns with you
3: hey, i appreciate that I appreciate you taking some time so let's uh you know let's jump into it i think there's a there's an interesting um state of this 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 roster for cleveland and with pick 10 it seems to be one of two avenues now one of the avenues has a lot of different directions it can go but you either have a good portion of people saying they should take a tackle at 10 um, because that is one of the two questionable areas between Chris Hubbard Greg Robinson. We don't know what those two futures look like. Or should they take sort of a, a um, you know, Isaiah Simmons, um, Derek Brown, one of those maybe other hot spots defensively that they could use – an upgraded player to to sort of jump in and fill that role if that's available because it's a deep tackle class. So when you're looking at your mock drafts, Jordan, when you're looking at Cleveland, where do you tend to find them going and what's your justification for sort of pick 10 for them?
2: Well, I think this is a situation where they have a really loaded roster. And I know Browns fans are tired of hearing that just because of the results maybe not have warranted it, but this is a very talented roster. And I think it is a bit top heavy as far as star driven. And, I mean, they have stars at the right spots. Wide receiver, I still think the world of David Njoku. I still think he has some potential, even though we haven't seen a whole bunch of it to this point. Uh, wide receiver, we know they're loaded there, but I think the whole entire offseason revolves around protecting Baker Mayfield. So that starts with the offensive tackle situation. Greg Robinson and Chris Hubbard just haven't been up to par like they thought they were getting uh, when signing both of those guys. So it wouldn't it wouldn't surprise me at all if this team does double up on offensive tackle. Now, whether that's at 10 and somewhere along down the line, or maybe they do day two and day three, some type of combination, but it wouldn't surprise me at all. But if it were me and I were Andrew Berry and Kevin Stefanski, they have to find a way to get an offensive tackle and get the offensive tackle of their choosing, uh, whether that's at the 10th pick or later on down the line. Now, at the 10th pick, they're going to have their pick of the litter. That's not to say they're going to have the first choice in this class just because I think a guy like Jedrick Wills from Alabama, he's probably going to end up going – inside the top 10 before the Browns pick. But I think one guy that does make a lot of scores in the wide zone scheme and a guy that's a scheme fit is Tristan Wurst from Iowa. I think he's one guy that definitely does fit what they ask of their tackles to do.
3: Yeah, I'm fascinated with this class of tackles, and I really wanted to pick your brain about it because – Um, you know, I haven't had a ton of time to study these guys. I write a lot of stuff on Stefanski and these moves and all this stuff, and I haven't had a chance to really sit down, but where I'm at with it is like you said, I have this feeling that Willis is going to go probably the first tackle to go, um... You know, and there's there's a lot of things that could happen in this top ten. It could get real weird. Quarterback jump ups, um, some really good players that could go in front of these tackles. We don't know, but if they're there, I think Worfs is interesting. Some 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 buzz about him as a guard. Do you see him? And we'll we'll jump back and talk about more of these tackles. But do you see him as a guard mm-hmm. type? Is that something that you getting a feel for? Or do you think he's a tackle?
2: Now I'm I'm comfortable with him at tackle. Now there is some questions about his arm length. You know, this is something that came up with Jonah Williams a year ago. For whatever reason, the magic number with arm length is 33 inches. And if they don't meet that type of threshold, then people just peg him as a tap or a- as a guard, I should say. So keep an eye on his arm length. That's something that's going to be a big question mark about him until he does measure at the combine. So, I see him as a tackle and I grade him as a tackle.
3: Good, good. And, I, and 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 I like your point about Iowa playing a similar system. I do think he runs very well. I think something that people get confused about with wide zone stuff is it's 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 tough on an offensive lineman. It is it makes yeah. them run more than the average offensive tackle does in the league. You have to be able to get out, move, do the rip run, you know, be able to read a defensive end or outside linebacker and make that body turn or that drive. It's not easy. You're putting a lot of miles on tires. So, that's where I'm like I love Micah Tape, but like I'm not sure about a guy who's 370 being able to consistently do yeah. that. All now he's a great athlete. I'm not doubting that, but that's where I think it gets interesting. I watch somebody like Andrew Thomas, and I see a guy um, who is really probably not a great gap down, you know, clear out of side type of tackle, but he's a fantastic. You know, in my opinion, a fantastic pass blocker and a guy who can really get out and be an athlete and run and turn and do those body angle things that this sort of zone scheme might like. So I'm just sort of fascinated if it comes down to Werfs is available, Thomas is available, and Becton is available, all three of them sitting there. Which one do you think would fit best in this scheme?
2: Now, in my personal opinion, I think you said Werfs, Thomas, and Beckton, correct? Yeah. Out of those three. Yeah, I think works would be a much better fit than those other guys just because the thing about wide zone and just having some previous history with Stefanski and watching the Vikings closely, it's not just about being able to rip, move, and run, it's about endurance as well, mm-hmm. and that's something with the Vikings, they had a very up-tempo offense, and they tried to run as many plays as possible, but that's not to say it's a hurry-up tempo or anything like that, they just want to keep defenses off balance with the with the speed of the game and the tempo of their play, and then you think about a guy like Makai Beckton, him being 370 pounds, he's not really going to last uh, over the endurance of a game just because his body's not going to hold up just because he's more of a vertical forward pusher, yeah. a pocket mover type of type of offensive tackle. And Andrew Thomas is the same way, even though he doesn't weigh nearly as much as Makai Beckton. But these are guys that really rely leaning on people, if that makes sense, as of opposed course. to Tristan Wirth that tries to beat you with angles, which is, which is the wide zone, the whole – uh, the the whole, you know, uh, the occupancy of the wide zone, uh, the whole philosophy of it is you want to beat people with angles and beating defenses to spots. And that's exactly what Tristan Werth does do. Now, I want to run this past you. And remember I said this. Now, what is today's date? starting February 5th. Keep an eye on Josh Jones. Yeah. Houston offensive tackle going 10th overall. That would not surprise me at all just because he's a guy that fits very well in the wide zone scheme. He's going to test through the roof at the combine he's already started to gain some Gain some steam now that he's performed so well at the Senior Bowl mm-hmm. so now he has a chance to continue to build on his resume and it wouldn't surprise me if the Browns really do consider him even at 10th overall.
3: Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised either and with this group who's, who's certainly not afraid to trade back and collect a couple picks maybe moving into that 14-15 range it uh, it could yeah. still line there so I'm with you. I think that's another name that's going to creep up which brings me to my next topic which you just gave me one of your sleepers who um, not necessarily a sleeper anymore Josh has certainly gotten that buzz at the Senior Bowl but other anybody you know sort of day two second third round and then maybe sneaking into like fourth fifth round day three that the Browns we talk about their um potential to double up I think they should double up personally I'm not sure that they should go bang bang tackle tackle but I do think that they should consider grabbing another one are there sort of any names to day two day three that that, that have uh, caught your attention
2: yeah just guys that definitely could fit in zone scheme uh Prince Dago Winogo offensive tackle from Auburn a guy that does struggle a little bit as a run blocker. But as far as a pass protector, I think he's ready-made from day one and a guy that's only played offensive tackle for full-time for three years now. So he has that upside that you're looking for. And I think he's definitely a guy that's going to test very well. And he's going to check a lot of boxes as far as what they're looking for from a movement standpoint uh, with their offensive tackle. So Prince Tegelwin from Auburn is definitely one guy to keep an eye on. Uh, A guy that kind of has been forgotten about just because he only played seven games last year. His name is Lucas Niang, the offensive tackle from TCU. He's another name that definitely fits in the wide zone scheme as well. Uh, A guy that I think is going to test really well at the combine now now that he's fully healthy. Uh, Later on down the line, guys like Sadiq Charles, the offensive tackle from LSU. Another guy that's not as lengthy as far as lengthwise as some of these other guys, but I think he could be a day three option. Uh, a guy that's going to test through the roof as well, just just based on what he's shown on film. And if you're looking for a very, very late round guy, uh, Alex Taylor, offensive tackle from South Carolina State, is one guy that's going to test very well, former basketball player. So he has that athleticism that Stefanski and Andrew Bear are going to be looking for from the position. But he's very raw right now. A guy that's probably going to need to spend a couple years on the practice squad. But if you have some patience with him, maybe he could turn into a depth piece later on down the line
3: those are great those are great names um so 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 write those down Browns fans as guys they could potentially target or if you want to go watch them yourself um hit that rewind button and go back and listen and, and jot those and uh and, and catch some games on YouTube so I want to switch two positions I want to catch your opinion on before we go tight end Browns obviously have David Njoku you mentioned him earlier still a young guy I mean he's going into what year four with he's going to be 24 years old I mean he's still super young at a position that's no, You know, it's notorious for developmental, you know, the length of yeah. development that it takes with tight ends. It doesn't click right away all the time. And and David has a ton of raw tools, and they've gone through two different coaches. Well, sh- let me take that back. Three different coaches with him now. So we got, <laughs> yeah, we got to see. I was really encouraged, Jordan, that he was, you know, he put out a picture on his Instagram during that Vikings uh, 49ers divisional round game, kind of, t- I think, it had, taking notes, which is exciting to me because he knows this can be a really good system for tight ends. There are guys who are thriving in this system. Um and he can be one of them if he, you know, dedicates himself. And I think it'll be really good Bill Callahan getting in there and working with him. Um, you know, spending time with the tight ends and how to block and that sort of stuff. But behind I, I get curious, behind him, I don't think they have a ton of great options. Ricky Steeles Jones can can get out and run and catch the football, but he is not a blocking tight end and this offense is going to, you know, be predicated on tight ends that can that can really do some of the things tackles can and then sneak out as secondary pass catchers and i don't think that's a part of his game demetrius Harris was is, was such a major disappointment. They could see something they like in him, but I would not be surprised they move on from his number. Steven Carlson's kind of a later guy that came on at the end of the year. They might kind of keep their eye on him. I think they need to pick a tight end, maybe even go after somebody like Austin Hooper. We won't talk free agency, but I do think it's interesting because this draft has a lot of guys that I like. I'm interested in your take on somebody. They won't spend a first round. They probably won't spend a second round pick on a tight end, but I do think they could go rounds three through six on a tight end, and I'm interested in guys you think might fall in that target range that could do some of the things that this offense will demand.
2: Yeah, and it's really interesting you say that just because I think the grunt of this tight end class really is going to be selected in rounds two through five. I think that's fair to say. I don't think we're going to have a first-round guy like we saw last year. Uh, but the thing you have to know with Stefanski's offense is that he likes to incorporate a bunch of 12 personnel. So he likes to keep two tight ends on the field, a whole bunch. And we saw it last year with Kyle Rudolph and Irv Smith, Jr., and even they sprinkled in some other guys. Uh, Tyler Conklin was another third string guy that he liked to use a lot. So tight ends are a big part of his offense, and he needs at least two of them just because they're such a big part of the play action game and the wide zone game and the bootleg play action game that he likes to use. So uh, a guy like you know Dad Moss from LSU, I think, would be a really good selection for the Browns in the third round, just because he brings that type of versatility that Stefanski likes to use. And the thing that he loves to incorporate with these tight ends is that he has guys satisfy different roles. And Kyle Rudolph was more the more the versatile guy that did a little bit of blocking, and also a receiving threat. While he treated Smith Jr. essentially like an extra ty- or extra receiver, I should say, he was more the receiving threat. For the offense, but a guy like that Moss, he could satisfy that versatility role where he's not an overly twitchy route runner, but he can get out and make some catches. But he's not a guy you're going to consistently rely on in a passing game, but where his bread is really buttered at is in a blocking game. He can be he's a ready made blocker from day one. He can block in line. He can block flex out flexed out as well. So I think he would be a really good selection. But I got another guy that I think would be a terrific home run pick in the third round. We'll see if he does end up even lasting that far as Adam Troutman. Uh, from Dayton, and he's a guy that was terrific at the Senior Bowl, and I'm a big fan of him. So uh, either one of those guys would definitely be a really good selection. But if you're looking for guys later on, maybe a guy like a Paintney from Vanderbilt definitely could be an option, or even a Harrison Bryant. From Florida Atlantic.
3: I was going to mention Harrison Bryant and I'm a big Adam Troutman fan too, so I'm glad to hear you mention that name. Um, some good names there, Browns fans too. If you're interested in looking at tight ends, some of those guys will get some inside looks at at the OBR, but those are um, really interesting round two, three, four, five area uh, targets that make sense. So I'm not really trying, Jordan, to pigeonhole the Browns to take players at certain spots, but I'm just sort of looking at the logic of some of these things. If they were a high end safety, I know Grant Delpit has some ability, but it doesn't feel like he is a 10th pick power possibility right now. Browns need a safety. Lost Morgan Burnett to an Achilles. They'll probably end up letting him go. Doesn't sound like there is any interest in, in uh, rekindling the Demarius Randall flame. So it leaves them with Justin Burris, Sheldon Redwine, and sort of who knows what they're going to do there. They might sign somebody like Anthony Harris. I don't know what direction they're going to go, but I do think they really should look at a safety in the second or third round. And then, um, you know, I just kind of want some thoughts from you on, on uh, anybody that fits that sort of second, third, fourth round area.
2: Yeah, it just depends on what type of safety that that they're looking for. Now, if they're looking for a true traditional center fielder, a roamer, a guy that can roam in the middle of the field, Ashton Davis from California is definitely one guy that I think could fit the billing as far as what he brings to the table, a bit of an older prospect, but love a story, a former walk-on player, came to Cal as a track athlete, exhausted his eligibility in that area and wanted to seek the football route. And he ended up, things ended up paying off for him. So he definitely is a guy, if you're looking for a center field roamer type of safety, I think he definitely could fit the building. Now, if you're looking for a guy that's just an overall, that can be an ultimate chess piece. If you're looking at guys like Antoine Winfield Jr. from Minnesota, and also Kyle Duggar, the small school safety from Illinois Ryan. I think both of those guys definitely could fit the building in that area. And also Jeremy Chin from Southern Illinois, a guy that used to play cornerback, but transitioned to safety after his freshman year. Fantastic ball skills. He's had three interceptions every single year. Uh, since going on to Illinois. So, uh, that ball hawking type that you're looking for, 6'3, 220 pounds. So, he's a guy that can come down down the boom as well. So, they're going to have their pick of the litter depending on, it just depends on what type of safety that they want.
3: Well, I'm fascinated with this draft. It's got a lot of potential for Cleveland and there are some names at the right positions with the right sort of um, you know, trending round selection that I think Cleveland can do really well with him. If you're not following Jordan, rectify it. He's one of the best guys covering the NFL and he's doing it all year round. He's getting out to games, he's doing this stuff live. If you want to stay up on this stuff during the season after the draft, he's a great follow at J Reed NFL. Jordan, really, really appreciate you taking some time for us, man. I would love to have you back after the draft to talk about how they did.
2: No problem. Thanks for having me, Jake. It's always a pleasure talking Browns.
3: Absolutely, Jordan. All right, guys, we will uh check out for the day. We will come back at you um, you know, probably later in the week. We'll see how things shake out. Any news that comes out, DC Um, Any coaching staff additions. Otherwise, like us on iTunes, five-star review. Those are always greatly appreciated. We always love the feedback on the Twitter feed, too. So, again, thanks to Jordan for joining us. Really appreciate all of his insight. Follow him on Twitter. Thanks again, guys. And as usual, go Browns.
0: Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday,
2: June 6th, only on Showtime.
0: This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping